This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. She's a writer for the small and smaller screen, as her website says. It's Margaret Dunlap. Hey, nice. To, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Yeah. I was really entertained by uh, your your blurb for yourself that you write for the small and smaller screen. Yes, yes. I figured since I've never written for the larger screen, I'm like, <laughs> I'll just like, it's the small and even smaller screens. What do you mean by that? Obviously, you've written for television. Yes. Is, what do you consider smaller screen? Well, I started saying that I wrote for these small and smaller screens when I was working on the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, which nice. was a transmedia web series, which... Which, you know, it was like people watching on their, you, know, you can watch it on your television, especially now, but yeah. you figure that's mostly computers and phones and that sort of thing. It's like, you know, that little convenient way to say, yes, I also do new media. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, do you want to write for the larger screen? You know, at this point, I would say never say never. Like, uh, the career that I've wound up having in Hollywood is not what I expected it would be <laughs> when I came out here, in part because, I mean, I've been here long enough that when I first arrived, you know, putting video on the web, what kind of crazy <laughs> idea is that? What's the point of that? Do you know how long that'll take to download? You know, <laughs> so just having... <laughs> The technology, it's so You've been here since quickly. like 78. Or like, when did, when did you get here? Uh, 2001. Okay. So yeah, so not quite the, the stone age of the internet. But you know, it used to be a big deal to have like audio on the web. <laughs> yes. As, as you may recall. I do, I do. Um, I remember my resistance to the web. The web. Not is... thinking it was going to last. Yeah. I was yeah. incorrect. Yeah, we, we were both so, so very, very wrong on that. So it's been one of the joys that I've gotten from the work that I do is I've had interesting interesting opportunities that I've had an opportunity to say yes to. So I've yeah. written dialogue for video games, on web series, on TV shows, like Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. That's so, so cool. Really, ah, so it really kind of runs the gamut. I was last year writing simultaneously for Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures <laughs> and also a new Blade Runner series that's coming out at some point. So, awesome. Yes. Are they getting animated? Animated Blade Runner by the nice. same people who did um, Blackout 2020, I think okay. was the year on that one. Um, they're doing another one, which uh, I'm pretty sure that's all I'm allowed to say about it because <laughs> the animation production schedule is long, but I think that's got to be really cool. I'm excited. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Those yeah. are a bunch of really, really interesting projects, especially uh, for someone uh, like yourself who uh, is into the nerdier side of pop culture, right? Indeed, indeed. Yes, <laughs> I, I cannot complain about the franchises that I've had a chance to work on. Yeah. And were you a, a Barbie fan growing up? Um, I was sort of the kind of Barbie fan you were when your mother was a second wave feminist. So <laughs> I did have Barbies growing up. I had like a couple and one of them was the kind that came with the articulated knees. And okay. I, I don't know if you're up on the sort of Barbie innovations, but I know that there was a lot of them. Yes. Barbie, Barbie havers of a certain age generation. <laughs> I, I do not want to make gender assumptions. We say it was the kind where the knee bent and it's like, Ooh, because it was like sort of articulated. It yeah. wasn't a smooth joint, but it wasn't like, you know, straight or 90 degree bent. There were a couple <laughs> degrees in between. So okay. you'd sort of 
bend the Barbie leg and go and you know cheap tactile thrills being what they are when you are in elementary school. No, I understand. I've had a so, lot of cheap tactile thrills with uh, with molded plastic. Yes. Yeah, indeed. So, uh, so yeah. So I sort of had, and then I went, and when they contacted me about writing for the show, um, the head writer on the first season, Grant Moran, was like, "I we should have women writing on the Barbie show." <laughs> like that seems logical. Yeah. And and got immersed in the full world of Barbie where you know Barbie and her three sisters. I'm like, well, I knew about Skipper. So there's <laughs> Skipper and Stacy and Chelsea and the Roberts and her parents George and Margaret and they moved from Wisconsin out to Malibu and <laughs> there's like it it's a whole thing and yeah. I went to the Barbie brand immersion uh session which wow. was really cool because I got to go to where Mattel has their R&D for not just Barbie but Hot Wheels and the wow. Monster High dolls and it's it's really pretty awesome. Yeah. So is the Barbie immersion, is that in the sort of modern narrative of behind the Barbie toys or is it about the history? Uh, it is all of it. So okay. we got the history of how Barbie was created and the company and how it was founded and, you know, the whole sort of, you know, because Barbie really is the Mattel flagship brand in many yeah, ways. Yeah. She crushed He-Man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, she got there first. She got there first and there was a brief challenge, but no. No. No, she bent that knee and smacked him in the head. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then got into her uh, got into her convertible and drove off into the Malibu sunset. Bye, man at arms. Yeah. See you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm happy to have you back for a Barbie episode because I'm fascinated by all things toys and, and Barbie. But you told me your obsession when I asked was low stakes quiz shows. Yes. <laughs> which I love the writerly specificity yes. in that. So uh, for you, how do you define low stakes quiz shows? Okay, so for me, the key to the low stakes quiz show is because I believe that there are two types of people. There are the people who watch quiz shows so they can play along at home, and they're the people who don't bother to watch quiz shows. (laughs) And so like the point of the low stakes quiz show is because unlike, say, who wants to be a millionaire, there aren't that many quiz questions in who wants to be a millionaire most of that show is about oh my god how much money is this person going (laughs) to win and they build suspense in that beautifully like the way they use sound design and art direction and the whole setup is just designed to make you so nervous that you will forget yeah random facts at key moments they're like music cues that don't resolve and things like that right so it makes you feel like yeah yeah (laughs) Finish the song. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once you've watched it for a while, it's all just so ingrained in your head that this sound and this lighting means that things are getting tense. That, like, (laughs) you know, you'd have that, like, you could play that in a shopping mall. And if you just did their little, everyone just be like, oh, should I buy these jeans or shouldn't I? Oh my God. I'm so worried. I need to phone a friend. Um, So, so the low stakes quiz shows are sort of quiz shows that orient around the questions. Okay. Um, so, like, to extent Jeopardy is still a low-stakes quiz show, okay. in spite of the fact that the stakes have gotten pretty high. Yeah. Um, in the obnoxious, purest part of my brain, I'm like, it was a little more interesting when you had to stop after you'd won five times, because 
with the potential to win hundreds of thousands of dollars being a Jeopardy contestant, it yeah. feels like it's kind of become professionalized. Right. And and you are getting to that point where you get a level of fame like a athlete, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so every person you see on Jeopardy, though, I think that they are definitely, you know, they make an effort that it's not, you know, three white dudes every single time. <laughs> but every Jeopardy contestant is sort of a Jeopardy contestant. You, you it's, know, a, it's a kind of type of personality, you think? I, I think it is. And it's sort of like, yeah, they, you could do different jobs, but you're the sort of person who has dedicated real time and effort to being good at Jeopardy because there is that kind of, you know, there's a kind of stake to it. This is, you know, buy a house money at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, if you're Ken Jennings, it's, well, this is the rest of your life money. <laughs> yes, um, this is, now you are a personality. Yeah, yeah. Or, or certainly this is the rest of your life renowned, which he certainly seems to handle well and deserve. So it's it's not a knock on any of that. But it's just it's like, you know, you don't, you get fewer weirdos okay. on Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, I mean, you get a very specific brand of weirdo on Jeopardy, but. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like in your lifetime, like certainly if somebody was going to go and try out for Jeopardy, they were like a quiz person who valued trivial knowledge. But I I feel like there was maybe a point in time where it was sort of like, eh, somebody working at the post office might be on Jeopardy and somebody who just uh, works from home might be on Jeopardy. And now I get the sense that it is a little bit more like people who have trained their entire lives to be on Jeopardy. Yeah, or at least someone who studied up for a couple of years, because, you know, it used to be that Jeopardy, the the conceit that the people on the show would be like, well, you can't study for Jeopardy because there's, you know, we cover so many things, you don't know what they're going to ask. And the fact is they've been doing it long enough, and especially with, you know, people who will put every, you know, clue and question on the internet, yeah. you can sort of see the areas that are more target-rich for Jeopardy questions. Right, you can study patterns. You can, like, study buzzer technique, right, by Googling videos and things like that? I, yeah, it's like you can get really into it. <laughs> and, you know, if if that is what you love to do, I am by no means going to take away <laughs> that joy. And it's still a great play-from-home quiz show yeah. because they still ask, like, there's so many clues. I mean, technically, the questions are the answers on Jeopardy. But there are so many clues on Jeopardy that there's a lot to do, you know, if yeah. you're just sort of playing from home, sitting on the couch or doing dishes or or what have you. But, like, I was hanging out with friends sometimes because I am the person who plays along with the quiz show. And okay. Sort of you reach the point of, like, have you ever auditioned to be on Jeopardy? And I'm like... Guys, don't take it the wrong way. Hanging out with random people, I do pretty well. Among the pool of people who are trying out for Jeopardy, <laughs> I am average at best. Got it. Got um, it. So it's like I, I have a garbage brain, but it's I have not put a lot of sort of time and effort into acquiring more not immediately useful information. <laughs> I feel like I pick up I pick up enough of that. Already. Okay, so you feel like your brain naturally grabs facts and, and retains them? Kind of. I mean, I a, a friend described it as, it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of garbage brain. If it's a random fact, <laughs> it'll stick in there. Like, I was, when I was living in Boston, I would walk home from the T and I'd pass one of the neighborhood letter carriers on his rounds pretty much every day because, you know, I'd hit my spot. He'd, and we sort of, you know, we got to chatting and at one point he mentioned to me that there are only there are three holidays in the united states 
where mail is not delivered that are not always on a Monday. <laughs> Did he present it I to you as a quiz? I take it back, there quiz? are four. Yeah. No, it, I, it kind of was as a quiz, but no, there, there are four. Um, because it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and the 4th of July. Okay. They're not, because they're not affixed to a Monday. Because they're and not. they're always off. Okay. Ev- every other, you know, U.S. federal holiday that you don't have mail delivered on is just observed on a Monday. I have never found a time when this piece of information <laughs> will be useful to me. But, you know, somehow I'm, I'm hanging on because you never know. Right. Also learned that mail carriers really don't like the Tuesdays after the holidays because even though there's no home delivery, the sort of machinery of the mail keeps moving yeah. all weekend. So Monday is always a heavy mail day. And then Tuesday after nothing's been delivered on Monday, the bags are even heavier. So like you're just hauling <laughs> around even more mail. So b- both of these facts, the way you presented them to me, have seemed to have stuck in your head because they have a narrative to them. It's not like something you read on a calendar. It's like you encountered a postal person who shared this these it's, weird bits of trivia from their own life. It it is true. There there is there's definitely a saga attached. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you kind of realize that you were invested in playing along with quiz shows in a in a casual and fun way? Was it something that was immediate when you were a kid or Yeah, it's I definitely like started watching game shows when I was a kid and you know it's like it was not that fun watching Jeopardy when I was in elementary school because I just <laughs> didn't know that much. Yeah. But it's sort of like I'd watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune because they were on together and I was allowed to watch TV and that kind of slot before dinner yeah. kind of thing. And you know and I got really into them and sort of you know when you asked me it's like we should have you on the podcast what are you obsessed with? And I'm like <laughs> what am I obsessed with? I'm like, I'm kind of obsessed with low stakes quiz shows. (laughs) Um, And it's like, it's a good kind of brain break in the middle of the day. I work from home a lot. So to put some structure in the day, I try to, and sometimes I'm better at this than others, but like try to work in the morning and then take that hour for lunch. Oh, take the Jeopardy hour. Yeah. So it's like, so it's Jeopardy or it's something and just, Watching when you write narrative television, watching narrative television is not necessarily a relaxing activity. Yeah. And so, and that's actually when I discovered Cash Cab was when I was writing at a friend's house and we'd work in the morning and then we'd break for lunch. And it happened to be like on Game Show Network in the slot what we were taking (laughs) off. And Cash Cab may be the platonic ideal of the low stakes game show. I'm only vaguely familiar with that. So can you refresh me on exactly how Cash Cab works? Yeah, Cash Cab is a game show that takes place inside a New York City taxi cab. Although they have also... I have discovered that they've spun it out and sold the franchise internationally. Okay. So there was like, there was a year or two where they had one in Chicago and there's one in Toronto. There's Cash Cab Asia in Singapore. Okay. Where the prize is still in US dollars. I was interested <laughs> to learn. Um, another trivia fact, you know. Another trivia fact, I know. Um, but in the, the version that I first encountered, which was the New York version um, hosted by Ben Bailey, um, you get into a New York City taxi and, you know, they, the passengers say where they're going and then he hits the little button and like crazy lights go on the top <laughs> of the cab and like you're in the cash cab. And the idea is as long as the meter is running on the ride, the, you know, 
the host slash driver who is actually driving the car. Is, the host is driving? He is driving the car. Okay. Through New York City traffic while asking random strangers general knowledge questions. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. is that legal? Uh, apparently. <laughs> I mean, it's like it was on an... A- they must have had permits for it. Yeah, th- yeah, that's oh man, that's bizarre. What's what I, I would not do this podcast on a tandem bicycle even. <laughs> I would kill people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he's got a, like a little bug in his ear and then so it's like the the amount that the host is juggling at once yeah. is truly impressive. <laughs> but he's asking the questions and as you answer questions, you build up money during the ride. Um, and you have a couple of lifelines, though they're okay. not called lifelines because that's probably a copyright. <laughs> um, but you could um, originally they were they're called shout outs. So originally you could do a phone shout out, which was calling somebody you knew to okay. ask them if they could help you out. Um, that later got replaced by the social media shout out. I was going to say because people aren't going to answer their phones anymore. Right, right. So so it's a thing where they have a live stream and he just sort of ask on the video and then people watching it would write in the answers or just oh my god we're on TV. So sometimes you got more or less useful responses for that. And then the other shout out was a street shout out where he would pull over to the side of the road. You had to flag someone down from the taxi cab and then ask them the question and see if they could help you out. And sometimes this is helpful and people know things. And sometimes it is not. But it is also a kind of fascinating sociological experiment of like, who the person in the cab thinks will know something. Oh, yeah. I bet there's maybe some not great uh, judgments about who they think is going to know what kind of thing. Right, right. Or also, who will respond to somebody shouting at you (laughs) from a taxi that they're on a game show and they need your help with something? Right. So, yeah, you could make that quick assessment of, does it look like that person is aware that Cash Cab exists? So they'll understand quickly when I say, I'm in the Cash Cab. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So it's like it. I I have not done a survey. I would be curious to see if, like, you got more white dudes either because it's like, oh, he's a white dude. He's probably smart and knows stuff. (laughs) Or the, well, sure, I'll walk up to a stranger shouting at me from a taxi cab. This can't possibly go wrong. So I'm invulnerable. That'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I think it was on an episode of Cash Cab Asia I saw, actually, where the question was about a Pixar movie. And when he pulled the car off to the side they were near a restaurant that had like a dining terrace and there were a couple of kids out at one of the tables so they yelled at the kids hey do you know and they did oh that's awesome so so that was pretty awesome so you get that randomizing slice of life to it they successfully profiled some kids they successfully profiled kids but just just generally you get the sort of you know random new yorkers random people who are getting in a taxi cab yeah um, and sometimes people are really good at it. And sometimes, because the other thing is, if you get three strikes, you miss three questions, he pulls the cab over wherever you are and kicks you out. <laughs> so people are, in theory, on their way somewhere. Yeah. And can lose time. And can lose time, yes. Okay. The, the risk is losing time monetarily. You'll have a slightly less expensive cab fare if you have to flag <laughs> down another cab because you've presumably been able to make some headway. Yeah. Um, but I saw a guy once, it was like, it was at night, there wasn't a ton of traffic, but he's going from the village like way, way uptown. And he happened to be really good at trivia. 
So you know, the questions get harder and more valuable as okay. you go on. You, know, you start out with like $25 questions, then $50 questions, then eventually they, they doubled it. So it was 50 to 100. To, okay. But this guy, you know, he he racked up maybe $1,000, which was a huge cash cap total. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to your destination, he's like, you can do a double or nothing question where they will either, if you get it right, you get double the amount that you have accrued so far. If not, you get a free cab ride <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Which might have some value, yeah. Which, which might also have some value. And so it's a really kind of, you know, and the questions are, you know, they're varied, they're general knowledge, you know, everything from, you know, history, pop culture, that sort of trivial pursuit Is style there, questions. Are, are the lower level ones, like the really everyone should know this, almost kind of trying to shame people for being stupid or, or having a lack of knowledge? Not, I don't know. I never thought of it that way. I don't think so okay. also because something you know playing along there'd frequently be a low level question that would be an area of pop culture that i don't happen to follow right. like if it was a sports or music question <laughs> and i'd sort of be like i i am a classical enough nerd that no i probably don't know the answer to yeah. that so you know there's stuff where i'm like oh you know, what's what's the motto of the Commonwealth of Virginia? It's like, who doesn't know that? It's like, well, tons of people don't know that, Margaret. I do not know that, Margaret. It, it, uh, it is Six Semper Tyrannus. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also grew up in Virginia and had parents who, every time they saw the state seal, which is on the state flag, would go, Six Semper Tyrannus, all others pay cash. Again, you have a, a narrative memory for your fact. That's fascinating. <laughs> Indeed, I do. So when you were playing along with something like Cash Cab yeah. it, or Jeopardy, are you invested for yourself? I know you're not like interested in going on the shows necessarily, but are you invested for yourself? Is it like a great day if you kick ass or do you get bummed out if you miss a lot? You know, it's... There was a period when I was younger when I tried to figure out, like, how much I would be winning if, like, I had, like, a thing and I'd try to, like, mark for myself, okay. like, how much was that worth and how much did I lose if I guessed on that one. At this point, I'm kind of casual about it. Okay. It's that sort of left brain question response thing that yeah. I find very satisfying. It's like, ooh, a ticky box that I can tick off. <laughs> um if I have no idea and I'm playing along with Jeopardy, I would rather guess than let it go by. Because like, eh, maybe I'm right. And if I am, it's like, oh, I knew more than I thought I did. And if not, it's like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. That's the definition so. of low stakes. You're just screaming at your own television, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you get to enjoy that. Uh, yeah. So you, you wouldn't want to be on the shows, but you do enjoy uh, shouting out the answers. Yeah. Do you get? I don't know that I wouldn't want to be Ooh, on the show okay. necessarily. I did the online test for Jeopardy once. You did? Okay. Yes. Uh, I did not get accepted into the contestant pool, and it's sort of... It's not something that I want to do badly enough that I've put any effort into it. Let's okay. say that. So at this point, I'm sort of like, mm, if this were something I really wanted to do, I probably would have put some, you know, either study or trying out twice effort yeah. into the project. Do you like doing bar trivia or playing Trivial Pursuit or, or in, engaging with it at home? And Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do. I do Trivial Pursuit or, you know, pub quiz, especially like I don't think that I would go out and do that by myself because yeah. that that is a weird line that I'm not 
a, a weird Rubicon <laughs> that I am not prepared to cross. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like, oh, fun with friends and a little bit of alcohol. And ooh, also somebody is going to ask me questions and maybe I will know something obscure. Um, and, and there is satisfaction in that. Yeah. What do you think is the line? You're talking about garbage brain. What do you think is the line between uh, knowing something just to know it versus knowledge is valuable? Like, I think most people would agree that, yes, knowledge is valuable. Is it all about application for you? You know, it's I, – I think I am firmly on the knowledge is valuable side of the spectrum because, you know, I, I probably – would not put effort into remembering random things if I didn't just like knowing stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there probably is somewhat of an ego thing there of like when you are sitting around with friends and it's like, oh, this is a random thing. It's like, oh, I happen to know yeah, that. You put your phone away. I yeah. got this. It, it's like having, you know, souvenir of a life well or broadly lived to a certain extent. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like studying a foreign language. Like, huh, this is interesting. Perhaps it will come in handy sometime. Yeah. Or, you know, I am... I, I think even as a writer who we are famously behind the scenes of things, yeah. that you have to have enough ego to think that it's like, oh, I'm going to sit quietly in my house at my computer and the random stuff that I come up with in my brain is going to be of interest slash amusement to strangers. <laughs> like, there, there is some ego involved in that. Oh, absolutely, and, absolutely. And I think that ties to the, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I I can tell you the names of, you know, now I can't come up with any sort of set of things that I could then name all of. But like, you know, which which of the dwarves from The Hobbit are not on this list? Okay. Which was a trivia thing I encountered at a friend's trivia night one time. And I don't know that I could pull out the names of all of those dwarfs out of my head. Right. But when you've left out Philly, I know <laughs> to look for Killy, who is also not on the list. So it's like, okay, well, those are the two that aren't there. Okay, it's a process of elim elimination for yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I think trivia is partially just knowing a lot of stuff, and partially it's creative problem solving yeah i mean jeopardy clues are very much written like that you know right where you, where you could you because you can take a swing at like i don't know anything about sports but i can think of three baseball players and i know it's not these two for these reasons yeah or also the cluing is frequently there is a hint in the clue oh okay like it won't just be you know winner of the heisman trophy in you know x year um which couldn't tell you the winner of the Heisman Trophy in any year by year. But if you said, you know, this person, you know, this player from the University of Southern California really had the juice when he won the Heisman Trophy. Right. It's like, oh, that must have been O.J. Simpson. Like, I don't think that would show up in Jeopardy, given O.J. Simpson's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> given yes. O.J. Simpson's history. I, I was trying not to say O.J. Simpson because it's the only Heisman Trophy winner that I personally know. Only Heisman Trophy winner that I can come up with. And I don't know why my head went to an area where i don't have a lot of knowledge but like you know creative if, problem solving yes creative problem solving if if there was a if there was an 80s jeopardy clue on that subject that one might have popped up yeah so yeah. so yeah so it's also looking around at other things which is just a useful life skill like yeah. i had a uh, really random association but par for the course when conversing with me. Uh, my French 
teacher in high school was really good. And one of the things that she taught us is like, look, if you're doing a conversational exercise or you're in a competition with, you know, someone's asking you questions about something, they're not asking you questions because they want to know the answer. They're asking you to make sure you understood what the question was. Okay. If somebody asks you in French, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And you don't remember how to say, I'm an only child, make up a brother. (laughs) Like, The person asking does not care. And those kinds of algorithmic problem-solving skills are something that I found handy in life generally. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting thought to just always be mindful of why is the person asking me the thing? And it's immediately kind of uh, empathetic, right? Yeah. And and, uh, problem-solving for your own situation. Mm -hmm. Do you use those kind of thoughts, uh, the sort of creative problem-solving that you're applying to uh, Heisman Trophy winners? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's keep circling back to that one. (laughs) Uh, Well, we we share the problem with it. Uh, Do you use that as a writer? Are you aware that you're using it as a a writer? When when something isn't working in the script, are you aware that you are using that same kind of, well, if not X or Y, then the answer might be Z? Huh. I don't know. I think it's likely. Um, I think it also becomes like, you know, a fish would find it hard to describe water like yeah it's like well doesn't everybody's brain work this way well obviously <laughs> not like there's that thing going around on twitter a couple days ago saying it's like did you know that some people's thoughts are an internal monologue and some people don't have that and neither one knows that the other one exists wow and i'm thinking they're going like wait you mean there are people whose thoughts are not an internal monologue that they can kind of hear all the time that's just narrating <laughs> <laughs> That's news to me. Uh, apparently, there are books. Yeah. Do they so. think in colors? What's happening in there? I, I don't know, but it's like ah, abstract visualization, which <laughs> you know might be good for someone who works in a visual medium. Okay. But so you don't you don't analyze your analytical process for your writing. I mean, I have not from that particular perspective before. Okay. I think it's probably likely that your know, writing is one of those. It's one of those professions and. You know, I think it's one of the reasons why I went into the field where it's almost continually problem solving and it's problems that I find interesting to solve. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's a good thing to make a job out of. Yeah. You know, I was talking to somebody recently because about like I would considered being a math major when I was in college, not because I'm particularly good at math, but I am good enough at math and find it interesting enough. And I took a semester of calculus, and what I realized was I enjoyed the aesthetics of it. Like, (laughs) once I knew how to solve a related rate problem, and I knew the algorithm, and I knew how it all worked, I could say, okay, I know how this works, and I can look at the initial conditions that I've been given and put it together and, you know, and do this sort of thing, and the numbers all work out nicely, and I come to the correct conclusion at the end. I was not particularly driven when it wasn't working out well to figure out why it wasn't doing that. Yeah, because you were just getting the pleasure of I set up a system and everything works. Yeah, yeah. It is very much the the pleasure of playing along at home to Jeopardy. It's like, ah, somebody has asked a question and I have come up with an answer. (laughs) Chicky box has been checked. (laughs) That was the satisfaction that I got from doing math. And it's like, I don't think that this would 
indicate I will have a long and happy career <laughs> as a creative thinker in a mathematical field. Yes. If somebody's an- asking you what is the answer to this problem and your answer was, I'm not engaged. <laughs> yeah. Or even because also it reaches the point where it's like aesthetics will keep you going for a certain at least it'll keep me going yeah. for a while. But if it's like, you know, even if I had a job where it's like, this is the sort of problem we want you to solve, eventually I would be tired of solving that kind of problem. Yeah. Um, and so having enough of a novelty seeker, which is a good reason to seek out random information, also a good attribute to have as a writer as frequently, you know, we need to know a little bit about just about anything you can think of as yeah. opposed to, you know, my father's an academic and, you know, I was in college. I was like, oh, professors seem to have a really good job. And and then realizing, no, I'd rather know a little bit on very broad matter than know everything there is to know about a very specific topic. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being very affected uh, as a, a young man when I was just getting into comedy and writing and performing. And I read uh, one of Sammy Davis Jr.'s uh, autobiographies mm-hmm. talking about wanting to be a good father to his kids. And his kids would like ask him things about, like, can you help me with my science? And he's like, would you like to know how to do a great performance of Birth of the Blues? <laughs> because I can really help you with that yeah. and nothing else. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that's from somebody who is incredibly uh, multi-talented as an entertainer but Mm -hmm. just like a consummate entertainer and then just like what's cooking (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's like and especially in in the united states like there is almost an expectation as a child and a young person and even into young adulthood in a way that you might not see in you know europe or other countries that you're going to be a generalist yeah um But then eventually, like, and some people start very young and some people come to it later in life where it's like, okay, this is the thing that I really want to narrow in and get really good at. Yeah. Um, And that's where you start putting your effort and all the other, you know, potential branches, you know, they they get neglected and sort of come back a little bit. And so having an ability to remain interested in a wide range of things as uh, a friend's journalist friend said i like staying at the steep part of the learning curve <laughs> that's awesome and and i think sort of you know that that may be the the connection between being a professional writer and being really fond of low stakes quiz shows because also the more questions there are if i didn't know it before well Maybe I'll remember it next time it comes up. <laughs> yes, you're, you're continuing to learn. <laughs> exactly. Um, when we were talking about this over email, you also mentioned uh, Great British Bake Off. Yes. So that's not a quiz show, but it is a, a competition, right? It is a competition, and it is quintessentially low stakes. That's like it's supposed to be its value. Yeah, yeah, where it's like, yes, every week we send a baker home, and at the end, you know, we cha- crown the champion baker and your prize is a bouquet of flowers and a cake stand <laughs> and and the people you know who were also finalists the top three they also got flowers so really the the difference of being champion is you, you got a cake stand at the end of yeah. the last day um but it's that really kind of delightful sense of it's okay to be putting effort into something even yeah. though there's not a big monetary reward. Yeah. And it's a great example of, you know, somebody finishes early and it's like, ah, oh, my chocolate is falling apart. It's like, well, here, let me help you get it on your cake really quickly. You know, yeah. you'll see people helping each other out. Or um, I was talking to a friend about Bake Off does a great job of modeling failure. 
yeah. which I feel like we don't see a lot. But the number of times you've, I've seen somebody on that show and they, they're making a sponge cake because it's a British show and all of their baking <laughs> of cakes revolves around sponges because American and British home baking, you know, took off long after the Revolutionary War. And, you know, we, we have inherited the Pennsylvania Dutch and that yeah. is, I think we did very well on that. <laughs> But, you know, they, they take their sponge out and it's like, you know, a little rubber mat. It did not rise at all. And there's this sort of moment of like, and the people who are successful, the ones say, well, that didn't work. I guess I'm doing it again. Yeah. And in 10 minutes, they've whipped it up. They've got it back in the thing and they're back in the oven and yeah. they're behind the gun, but also they keep going. Yeah. And I think that sort of, that kind of, I was reflecting on that tenacity, you know, it's like when I'm cooking or doing something or it's like like well this clearly isn't working and i could bang my head against it trying to get it to work yeah or i could just back up to where it was working and yeah. then you know and try an, a new route yeah. around it that's great that's very healthy yeah uh, i'm really curious about the way you're defining stakes and i, I think i'm understanding that there are no big external stakes mm -hmm. in Great British Bake Off because you're not winning a bunch of money. It is very much kind of the person against themselves trying to do a yeah. better job and, and often on something that they didn't do well yeah. on the last time they're on Great I British mean, Bake Off and, or whatever. And get a handshake from Paul Hollywood. I mean, yeah, that's... <laughs> yes. Which I, which would, I, I do I not mean to diminish <laughs> the, the level of stakes that that encompasses. But that, yeah, I, They built it up. They built it up as, they, as big uh, internal emotional stakes. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. Do, do you ever get... I get stressed by that. So, uh, like, my wife and I watched, like, a bunch of the holiday episodes over the holiday. And oh, I, yeah. we were getting to the end. I was like, I was enjoying this. I know everybody calls it the low stakes thing. Mm -hmm. But since, like, for me and the work that I do, a lot of it, yeah, there might be external reward. But a lot of it is the internal battle no, no. of, can I do a good job? Can I do the job I want to do on the thing? Yeah. So it starts to stress me out. Do you do you get stressed at all like that? Oh. Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, no, and I think you you make a very good point because, you know, we say, you know, low stakes quiz show, you know, meaning low money value yeah. quiz shows. Okay. But but I do think, you know, part of, you know, the thing that we love about Bake Off is like, I've never met any of these people. But like, you know, when I saw years after she was on the show, oh, look, Martha's out of college and she got married and all the other bakers came and they brought her cakes and they Aww. had like a picture of like everyone she was on the show with had brought a cake and it's like, oh my God. And it's like, you know, getting all misty <laughs> over it. And and so, yeah, there's absolutely that investment. I mean, that said, I'm also a, a very soft touch on the tears. Like I, I cried the second time I saw the Christian the Lion video. Okay. And it's like you know, the first time, but it's like I knew what was coming the second time. And I'm still sitting there saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm crying over this again. Um, so so that being said, um, but I think it I think you're right. It's very much a tie. And I think it's part of the reason why I like cash cab is that you do have those sort of you know there's a guy taking his you know daughter to kindergarten and they're <laughs> running late so they got in a cab today instead <laughs> of walking or taking the subway and you know they they wind up only riding for a few blocks because they're busy and yeah he's, he's got a small child and he is not up on the latest <laughs> movies that have come out but it's like oh i you know you you create those characters and you really start to feel for them. Yeah. Um, so this, again, it's a, yeah. it's a narrative build. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you think there should be a version of Great British Bake Off where they're also asked quiz questions? <laughs> <laughs> that 
oh, that would be kind of delightful. Though I feel like, I don't know, and I'm probably mashing up a couple different things, but it's like, as I don't think it was Bake Off, but sometimes you have those sort of competition shows where they'll be like, here's the trivia question when we go to commercial. And I'm like, that is the stupidest thing I have. <laughs> like, I'm like, and for all of my desire to ask and answer questions, I don't know why my reaction to that is just like, ugh, like this, this is just clearly random that you have shoehorned in here. Okay. Like, I don't think... Honestly, Great British Bake Off is kind of a perfect show, and I would hate to mess with it. <laughs> not mess with that recipe. Yes, like, like Baby Yoda, there are some things you just don't mess with. Baby Yoda is just uh, unbelievably uh, perfect, how, yes. How were they unaware of how they had weaponized cute? I, to me, I, I, my, from the little bits of that I have heard, it sounds like one of those like, well, we know this idea could be really good. And then just the universe, the force, if you may, <laughs> uh, takes over and like, no, this is unbelievably perfect. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, I got to stop myself or I'll be all, all Baby Yoda talk all the time. Exactly. Um, if you could meet any of the hosts from any of these various quiz shows, who would you want to meet? Oh, my goodness. Would you want a handshake from Ball Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would, I would kind of really like to meet Prue. She seems... Oh, Yeah. She seems very cool, and a, I, I do not think she would be offended if I referred to her as a lady of a certain age with no fucks to give, <laughs> um, which is an archetype I approve of. Um, I can just hear her listing it as part of a recipe. And there should be no fucks no, given in your sponge cake. No fucks at all. Not worth the calories. <laughs> um, no, I would, I'd love to hang out with Mel and Sue. Okay. Um, yeah, is, is that just because, I mean, they are just... Designed to be incredibly just charming and personable, not designed. Obviously, they're human beings. Right, they their function in the show <laughs> is to be yeah. is to be personable. Yeah, I w- I was fond of and and I very much enjoy uh, Nolan Sandy as well. Okay, um, but yeah, but Mel and Sue, it's like oh my god, they're my favorite lesbian couple on television, and I know Mel is straight, but they still are. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I, I will count that as representation, sure. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, and also, I mean, like, God, like, I think that Alex Trebek is probably on the list of people who, despite living and working in the industry, it'd be like, holy shit, that's Alex Trebek. I don't know what you say to him. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, like, living in Hollywood, you can end up meeting, seeing, working with people, and sometimes it's like, yes, I understand you're a movie star, but you don't move me. But however, I have this personal relationship with this person, and Alex Trebek would be that for you? Alex Trebek, yeah. I mean, not not quite as bad as LeVar Burton, because (laughs) I watched both a lot of Star Trek and a lot of Reading Rainbow, and I think I would instantly become, like, five-year-old Margaret if I were to meet yeah, Mr. Burton, but but yeah, there's just that sort of like, it'd be like, hmm. you know, like that episode of the X Files where it's like he didn't say it was Alex Trebek, just someone who looked incredibly like Alex <laughs> Trebek. I'm like, is that Alex Trebek or just somebody who looks incredibly like Alex Trebek? <laughs> what do you think you would say to him, or what what would you ask oh. him? I don't know. I. I think I would probably say, I, I would say thank you. I've been a fan of the show for years, um, and I appreciate your work. Yeah. Tr- try to keep it sort of 
short and classy. I think yeah. most people appreciate <laughs> just it's like, yeah, no, I, I think you've done great work. Thank you. Yeah. Um, glad, glad to hear you're feeling better. <laughs> I, I know he's been having health struggles recently. So, uh, you know, wishing fair. for a full recovery. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, in terms of just valuing uh, trivia, Obviously, we're at the the point where I think you and I are both of an age where we can remember hanging out in bars when something came up and somebody knew the trivia or, or they didn't. Yep. And now it's just who has a faster uh, draw on their phone. Yeah. Now now we have the sum of all human knowledge in our pocket, but there yeah. used to be a time when you had to sit and wonder shit <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> do you think any, uh, not to be like things were better that in that day, but how do you think the the value of knowing lots of trivia that you can't immediately apply to your job, but just knowing it. How do you think it's changed given that we we do all have trivia at our fingertips? You know, I think, honestly, I, I can't say that it was better when you would spend 20 minutes racking your brain trying to figure out and then getting into an argument over something right, like... Like half the value of being able to look something up on your phone is when you think you know something and somebody else thinks that they also know and you do not agree on what the answer is. And then you can just settle it without it becoming a blood feud (laughs) of it's like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to then go to the library and I'm going to look it up in an encyclopedia and then I'm going to see you three months from now and you are going to know that I'm smarter than you are. Um, You know, that's not a good thing to let fester. It's better to just look it up. Fair enough. You know, and find a reliable source yeah. uh, for for a genuine fact, um, and and know that kind of things. But it does. I don't know. Maybe in a way, it makes it more of a party trick and less of a resource, and that yeah. kind of diminishes the uh, the needfulness a little bit. Like it's fun to know things, but it's it's unlikely that it will be a life or death scenario <laughs> when somebody asks me about federal holidays that do not always occur on a Monday. Um, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I think I've developed a little bit of a bias from doing this podcast that there can be a benefit of us all having knowledge because it's so... Then, then the trivia, liter- literally trivial in the negative sense, mm-hmm. doesn't matter because I've had lots of guests who come on and like they want to be on their phone because like, what if I say something wrong? Right. And I understand the internet jumps down people's throats, but my mm-hmm. listeners are really good about, I never get, oh, that person forgot this. Or, they said they were obsessed, but yeah, they didn't know that. Exactly. Yeah. I've never got that. And because the, the point is like, it doesn't matter if you can't remember your favorite band's second album for a moment because we can all look that up. Yep. That doesn't have value. The, where you were as an individual when you first heard it and what it means to you that has value. Yeah, like like you say, the the narrative around the facts are what makes it interesting. Yeah, um, it's a little similar to I heard a uh, and I I apologize because I think we also went to the same college, uh, though not at the same time. But he was giving a TED talk about why it's important to learn languages, even though we now have computer translation. Yeah, and you know, and some of the reasons came down to one, it's fun. It's good to stretch your mind, and it's good to be able to meet somebody on their native language, you know, especially as an English speaker, you know, English being the second language for most of the world population. Yeah. Most people are going to have better English than you're going to have whatever non-English, non-native languages you might speak, you know, anything that you studied in high school or college or just for leisure. But it helps sort of bring you into their world, like seeing how a language is structured tells you about 
how a culture is structured, how the people who use that language natively might think about concepts or, you know, whether it's they have a word for this and we don't or, you know, this is the way they arrange verb tenses, yeah. you, know, you know, English, the things that we think of as being baked into how every language works, not every language works that way. Yeah. Um, and so having that expanded experience, and I think that sort of quest for general knowledge for the sake of it, um, and then, you know, with the added bonus of impress your friends when you're all watching Jeopardy together. <laughs> and the bonus of that is that, yeah, you you know more things and it can help broaden experience even when like you know when you're young and you don't necessarily have an opportunity to travel on your own if you don't have a traveling kind of family or you know the money to go out and see things yeah i i came out and when i came to la i always wanted to work in television and someone's like well why don't you want to write for movies and i'm like because I grew up in a small town that had one movie theater (laughs) that was really hard for me to get to right like And most movies didn't come to our theater. I didn't have a lot of movie experience. TV came to me. Yeah. You know, even when it was just, you know, rabbit ears on our tiny little set when I was a kid. And then, you know, eventually we got cable. But it was just like, that was something I had experience for. It was far more accessible to me than films in the theater. Yeah, Yeah, LeVar was there for me. (laughs) Um, You know, but it's like, but when I wanted to see The Princess Bride, that was like a a multi-week process of like <laughs> negotiating with the parents to have someone who could go with me and someone who'd take me there and yeah 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 that's really cool yeah, yeah. and i think just uh, it's cool to see little bits of what could be considered pointless trivia but absolutely have empathy attached to them like even uh, no joke your your postal story of you walking around on tuesdays if you see uh, a post office worker and now the next time i see someone mm-hmm. on a tuesday i will know you're having a harder day. Yeah, if, if we just had a holiday, you're having a really heavy day. Yeah. <laughs> i got to be really aware of that. Yeah. If there's going to be a quiz show inspired uh, by your life, what do you think that quiz show would be like? Oh, my goodness. Um, there, there would probably be a lot of Star Trek questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> Star Trek questions and maybe maps. Um, I, I was... I like I'm now picturing it as just like a Jeopardy, but there are only two categories. <laughs> Star Trek maps and maps. And Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, there would hopefully be more than that, but sort of as as this has become, you know, a you know, podcast about trivia and also Margaret Margaret's quest for self knowledge <laughs> as, as you as you open this up. Um I studied in Paris for a year when I was in college and I had a couple of friends who were also studying abroad at different places so it's like we'll all meet up in Paris we'll do Paris stuff. Cool. And it was like a whole thing cuz somebody's staying at the same apartment where I'm renting a room and somebody else we have to get them to the youth hostel and you someone else we have to get them to the train station and I'm like okay let me explain how you're supposed to get to where you're supposed to get and I pull out you know it's like okay so here's the metro map and here's the street map and here's the thing and it's like you know and by the time I pulled out something one of my friends looks at me and she goes Margaret, how many maps of Paris do you have on your person <laughs> at this moment? And the answer, including the little subway map that was like tucked into the holder for my Metro Pass, was six. Six maps. I had six maps of Paris. And it had never occurred to me that this was at all odd until somebody pointed out, it's like, Margaret, you're carrying around a lot of maps. I'm like... <laughs> Clearly, urban navigation is something that is really important to me yeah. at this point in my life. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, 
if if I can't ask for directions, or it's like I I want to assure myself that I can walk to the nearest metro and get myself to someplace familiar. Okay, so the ultimate trivia on your personal trivia show would be like cross section maps of the Enterprise. <laughs> Get from the bridge to the holodeck in as few steps as possible. Yeah, yeah. Though, I mean, honestly, the the answer to that is, you know, walk through the corridor set for as long as you can until you can come to a turbo lift and then ask the turbo lift to take you uh, where you need to go. Because it's they must move laterally as well as up and down because it never drops you like down the hall from engineering. No. Like you can just take it to engineering. Right. Everybody just goes up and down. Right. And there's only so much space to go up and down. Right. But at the same time, there must be other things on the engineering deck. Yeah. And so you don't have people like randomly going to the gym, like who have to walk through main engineering to get there. (laughs) Although I really want to see that episode (laughs) where Jordy is just desperately trying to to fix something. Then Riker walks through with the towel. With the towel. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's it's like, you know, they they don't go directly to 10 forward. Like you had to walk down a little bit of hall and then there were doors that would take you to yeah. 10 forward. So that was the place where it's like, okay, so it doesn't take you everywhere. So you have thought about I, this. Yeah, I, I have. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. Okay. So do you think about low-stakes quiz shows every day? I mean, as such, maybe not. Yeah. Like, you know, the the fixation of the moment tends to kind of wax and wane. Yeah, because the way you're describing your use of them now is there something to very much uh, engage your brain, but not in writing. So Mm -hmm. you're fully activated, but not on the thing that you've been activated on all day. Right, right. It's it's a palate cleanser. Okay. (laughs) Uh, When people walk into your home, can they tell you're obsessed with low-stakes quiz shows in any way? Probably not. Do you have uh, a home where you have a lot of your your loves displayed? Are there maps on the walls? I do. I I have one map on the wall. I have a lot of sort of art that I've picked up as somebody who goes to a lot of conventions. Yeah. So I've got, you know, the My Little Ponies drawn as though they were each the members of the Avengers <laughs> by Tom Zoller, which is a great piece. Like, I've got the Marvel's Agent Carter poster up. Nice. I've got other original art. I have stuff from, you know, web series that I did that was made by our department. It's like, cool. do you want the sign from the ice cream store? Yes, I definitely want that up. So, yeah, there's definitely a sign of my many obsessions okay. if you walk into my, into my place, including the Star Trek Pez dispensers. Um, but low stakes, you know, I, I don't have like a Jeopardy podium to to watch the television from behind or anything like that. If you were offered that, if somebody heard this and like, hey, I work on Jeopardy and actually uh, we'd be happy to send you a podium, would you want that? Oh my God, I would be sorely tempted. I mean, the problem would be I live in a very small apartment. Um, but like I, I would... I'd ask for measurements before I turned it down. (laughs) (laughs) I'd ask for measurements as a a good way to state your level of obsession. Yes. (laughs) Would you ever get a tattoo inspired by a quiz show? I would not get a tattoo generally. Okay. um, Just for sort of personal religious reasons. Okay. But um, I I would get... I would get low-stakes quiz show themed art, I think. Okay. But maybe not permanently adhered to my body. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're just not a tattoo person Not a tattoo person. I think they're super cool, just... I I figure looking at other people's tattoos, I can experience all the tattoos and not have like, <laughs> I I have so much anxiety of the day you wake up and say, 
man, I wish that wasn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would really like to get one uh, someday, but I, I, I sometimes worry about the, yeah. not even will I not like this anymore, which is like, I kind of want in Photoshop to move that tattoo a half an inch. Exactly. I can't. It's my it, body. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I think you know, tattoo artists do such amazing work, and I've seen people with beautiful, beautiful pieces. But I think for me, it, it, tattoos is more of an observer yeah. sport, as it were. <laughs> I would like to observe your tattoo. Yeah, uh, if which you were... is good because I think most people who get tattoos get them so they can be observed. Oh, yeah. At yeah. least in part. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Like, personal you know, meaning and also as a way to present an image to the world. It is a, yeah, I've had some fun conversations with people about that, about how much, uh, you know, particularly if they're on a, a more public part of your body, how much mm-hmm. is it for you versus how much is it you wanting to say, hey, everybody. This is I me. like Van Halen. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm ready to engage in conversation about it because it's on my arm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so if you saw somebody with a quiz show tattoo, like at a party somewhere, like it, that it's not weird to approach someone. Right. Would you say, could I observe your quiz show tattoo? Oh, oh I, I would absolutely walk up to somebody <laughs> and say, so Jeopardy tattoo, can we talk about this, please? Because I am intrigued. Yeah, yes. Nice. No, yeah. absolutely. I would. In fact, I have a friend with, uh, he was on Survivor, and he does have a tattoo from that. A Survivor tattoo? He got a Survivor tattoo. He, uh, I think he was out with a bunch of other people who he met who had also been reality show contestants, and they all went and got a, uh, like, it's a little TV with something meaningful to them inside oh. it. So I think he has the number of days he was on the island. Oh, so um, you don't, when you see it, you don't know that it's like, it's yeah, not you like don't Survivor necess- Outbound or whatever. Yeah, no, okay. no, it's not that. It's just the sort of like thing for that. So yeah, I, I might not know if somebody had a cash oh. cab tattoo. <laughs> Though if they did, I, if you have a cash cab tattoo <laughs> and you are not a producer or Ben Bailey, I am super curious to hear the backstory of that <laughs> tattoo because, as as we have ascertained, I'm into narrative. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a great narrative. Uh, if you were trapped in an elevator, how long would it take before quiz shows came up with the other people with trapped the in the other elevator? With the other people trapped in the elevator. Um, it probably would not be long before elevator trivia came up. Oh, yeah. From from me, especially <laughs> on the most modern elevators have multiple safety things built in. Yeah. So the chances of us falling to our deaths very low, though if we did, jumping at the last second will not help us. <laughs> um, they, <laughs> That's some great trivia to share right away. Right right away, you know, and, and has practical knowledge. Oh, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. According to uh, to a different British quiz sh- quiz show QI, which stands for quite interesting, if you are in in the unlikely event that you are in a free falling elevator, the safest thing to do is find somebody larger than you are and lie down on top of them. <laughs> Fine, just find them. <laughs> just just like lay down and and you know because it basically it's a shock absorber. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, that's a real controversial bit of trivia to bring up in the elevator. In the elevator, yeah, I think that that would be. I mean, if I were there with a the kid, it would be the here. I'm gonna grab hold of Aww. you, sort of thing. Yeah, you know, if you're in the elevator with a friend, I think it's probably a bit outré to do the. It's like, all right, which one of us is patting the other one? Like, yeah. a bit gauche. A yes. bit gauche. A bit gauche. Okay, but heavens. <laughs> It's so in terms of how quickly it would come up. Yeah. You feel like just that you see things as trivia. So in the manner of your speaking, it would come up. Yeah. I'm also not somebody who is super comfortable sitting in long silences. So trivia as icebreaker. Oh, yeah. So we're stuck in this elevator. 
you know, so the odds are good that we're not going to fall to our deaths. The did you know that most elevators don't actually have that little hole in the roof that they conveniently have in the movies? Did you see Mission Impossible? I liked the first movie, but why do they have to kill off the team? The show was an ensemble. It's not just the Ethan Hunt show. Um, this is a good example of uh, trivia into free association. Into free association. It is uh, those who have conversed with me it's not difficult to get me going <laughs> that's awesome uh if a friend was criticizing quiz shows at a party would you get upset and would you en- engage um i mean it it probably wouldn't be pistols at dawn <laughs> you know i might say oh i like quiz shows and if they continue to sort of you know rail against you know, i don't know if if they if they had a point, I'd probably listen to it. But, you know, that strikes me as a kind of situation where it's like, eh, maybe I need to have you having a conversation somewhere else. Okay, but it wouldn't get you angry to the point where you felt like you had to rush to the defense of quiz shows. It would be more about you don't want to engage with that person. Yeah, I mean, I am not keen on on verbal confrontations okay. generally. So that that is probably shading my answer to this, you know. There, there are things that, yeah, I, w- I would defend and throw down to, but I think quiz shows probably falls in the in the live or let live. Yeah. I mean, it, until we, you know, until things go really weirdly dystopian in the quiz show <laughs> arena, you know, if, if the quiz show in, in question was The Hunger Games and we were living it, that would probably <laughs> be worth having well, an intense debate. political discussion. Yeah. 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 Well, fair enough. You, you did say your obsession is low-stakes quiz low shows. Low-stakes so quiz shows, I, I understand yeah. you're not going to escalate the stakes. Yeah. Ca- Cash Cab <laughs> will have to defend its own honor the next time somebody is dissing it in a bar. Uh, we talked about this a little bit with the, the podium, but would you buy any other quiz show merch? Like if there are action figures of uh, some of the British Bake Off hosts or, or Hot Wheels of the Cash Cab, would you want to own those? Yeah, I might. Like, I'm not... I, I try to contain the, the knickknacks because yeah. knickknacks can, you know, having nerdy hobbies can become uncontainable very yes. quickly. But but yeah, if there was like a, a nice piece of a uh, nice piece of quiz show art or, you know, the license plate off the cash cab. <laughs> yeah. Does it say cash cab? Is that the license plate? I think it might. Okay. <laughs> if you could uh, access the afterlife, the perfect afterlife for you, the one you want to be at, okay. uh, but you had to answer uh, three trivia questions first, oh, no. would you be excited or stressed out by that? Well, I mean, that that is, if you don't get it right, <laughs> like, what, what's going to happen? This is... Yeah, I think I would be a little stressed out, but it would also be exciting. It would be like, thank God I'm not playing Frisbee for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, oh, well, I, I guess I could be breakdancing for my eternal reward. Yeah. So better better to be answering trivia questions. Yeah, yeah. and then maybe you'd feel like, well, I really prepared well. Yeah, there, there's always so, some risk associated with, with the quiz show scenario, but at least, you know, I feel like it would be playing to my strengths. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and again, my bad. That's a bit of a high stakes question. No, uh, that's okay. Told me you like low stakes that's all right if aliens were visiting earth and you got to greet them would you show them an episode of cash cab to explain humanity (laughs) you know i can think of worse ways to (laughs) go about it there there's general knowledge there's a wide slice of the population it's kind of funny um you know i think that you'd have to do some explaining of the premise of like, you know, what's a taxi cab and how, you know, it's like, I don't know if the aliens have an equivalent for their urban transport. Probably. I mean, they got here somehow. But that leads to, you know, 
good dialogue about, you know, shared and unshared, you know, communal transit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you could definitely use that as a good jumping off point, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the sociology of who knows what kind of answers and why, and yeah. those assumptions about who on the street might or might not know answers. Yeah, yeah there's why, a lot. Why do we think it is important that you know the name of Lady Gaga's third album? It's like, well, maybe it's not important, but it's something that societally we have decided to reward, which, you know, <laughs> perhaps we should examine that sometimes. Yeah. But also... Why shouldn't you know? Yeah, yeah. And now I'm trying to remember. Damn it. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, if you were about to see a taping of a quiz show that you were really excited to see live, but there was a bear blocking your path, would you try to get around the bear? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now tell me why that comes out uh, so affirmatively and so quickly. So affirmatively and so quickly. Well, one, when I'm just enjoying the mental image of being like lined up outside a studio or you know, I I have I was also imagining because I've been to see live tapings of Says You a couple of times okay. when I lived in Boston and so like I'm picturing a crowd of either Jeopardy or public radio people gathered outside of some establishment and there's a bear between us and the door and I'm like also, I feel like I know a fair amount of trivia for what you're supposed to do when confronted <laughs> with a bear. <laughs> so I'd be like, okay, what's the bear where you're supposed to intimidate it? And what's the bear where you're just supposed to sort of throw yourself on the ground and act like you're already dead so it'll leave you alone? It's like coupled with the, the writer brain of the, what's going to happen next? And this is going to be a hell of a story <laughs> to tell somebody. So you're more excited about the the scenario. If you I, came across this, you'd be like, this is great. Yeah, I mean, would I seek out an angry bear versus a quiz show? Yeah. No, but the whole the whole scenario I find very intriguing. I'm not going to lie. Okay, cool. Um, and, and also I'm going to hope that, you know, generally these tapings happen in urban areas and there might be like emergency response. And also I think most wild animals are intimidated by large groups of people. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'm hoping that the resolution to this is there was a bear, it was super weird, and then the bear ran off and we heard later that it was okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, in like, terms of your... If mauling were imminent, I would run like hell. I think that is totally a reasonable uh, response. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so in, in this scenario, it's ambiguous whether the bear is uh, going to do any mauling. Right. And it's a little bit about, like, how deep your desire to see that live quiz show is. Yeah, I mean... If the stakes escalate, <laughs> then, then no, it is not worthy of life and limb. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But you That's but first you would engage with the scenario. First it would be like, well, how's this going to play out? Like there would definitely be a feeling out the scenario. It would not be, bear, I'm out of here. Okay. Fair enough. This is so great. You're such a uh, positive person that you want to engage with the aliens and the bears. <laughs> exactly. Well, I also play a lot of role-playing games. Yes, and is imprinted deeply. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise comes to mind when you think of low-stakes quiz shows? I don't know. Probably that doo-doo. <laughs> is that the sound of a question being answered correctly or the the sound of the stakes of like ooh? I, I think it's an answered correctly sort of noise. Yeah. You know. That that are the ding, but you know, the do do, do, do. Yeah. it's it's more satisfying than than a 
yeah, that than just a ding. That deep level of satisfaction that gets ingrained, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, like when you discover it's like, Ooh, a ticky box <laughs> puzzle in Zelda, you're like ah, that sound. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I ask everyone to give a rating to their obsession uh, as well. So on a scale of one to ten, ten being the highest, one being the lowest, where would you put yourself? I I I would say my obsession is. Say six, maybe seven range. Okay. I I think that the truly obsessed would probably spend more effort trying to get on to quiz shows than I do. Yeah. So your obsession, you feel like in your definition of obsession, you feel like you have to engage with it in more facets. Yeah. Yeah. Because this right now seems like a healthy interest that literally fits into a part of your day. <laughs> literally. Yeah. <laughs> and it has a, an actual function. Yeah, it, it's like, and and it sort of ebbs and ebbs and flows. So there's like, you know, there's a period where it's like, okay, 3 p.m. cash cab now. Um, and now it's like, oh, it's on YouTube. I could check it out or I could watch videos from the VA test kitchen. Like, yeah, we'll see how we're feeling today. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I would say it's it's in that more thought into quiz shows than perhaps the average viewer gives them. <laughs> but but I am also aware of quiz show people. Yeah. And I do not want to uh, I do not want to underestimate the dedication that others put into this pursuit. Fair enough, fair enough. Well we're gonna move on to the plugging section of the podcast. All so right. where can people find you on social media if you want to be found in any projects that you can talk about? All right. Uh, the easiest place to find me on uh, social media is either my website is margaretdunlap.com, but it is basically a place where you can find links to other places to find me. <laughs> I am most frequently on social media on Twitter. My handle is at spyscribe, uh, where I post at least once a day because I post an update from the continuing saga of the Duolingo Hebrew dystopia. I don't know what that means. Uh, this is something that began, I've been doing Duolingo Hebrew for a while now, and, you know, they give you little sentences that you have to, like, fill in the blank, translate, okay. and in one exor- exercise, I received two sentences, the first of which was, my car exploded two days ago, and the, and then, like, two sentences later, it was, we consulted with a lawyer who told us to run away. I'm like... And I sort of posted those, and I'm like, things are getting dark (laughs) in the Hebrew Duolingo land. And then the next day, the sentence was, all the books in the library were burned. Oh, no. I'm like, and and then they got worse. And it's just been a continuing theme. And part of it, I will acknowledge, once... Once you are doing these exercise with an eye to how does this fit into this weird dystopian world that I am creating, <laughs> you can find a way. But then there's also stuff like this newspaper is written by monkeys. Or, um, you know, one, and this one, I made a point to memorize the Hebrew. The sentence is shuv hashekel hazeh which I, pre- I apologize for my pronunciation for any neighbor- native Hebrew speakers out there, but it means, again, this lie, <laughs> which I posted with the caption, it strikes me as both useful and on brand. Yeah. So. That's fascinating yeah. to see. Uh, are you crafting a, a narrative, or is it just that, that that tone was set and now everything, because newspaper run by monkeys could be fun and flavorful, but if you're looking at it from this the world is slipping into chaos. It sounds like a comment on the, the loss of free press. <laughs> yeah, they, they're recurring themes. Um, 
I think I must have come back around on level two because I've started getting explosions again. Um, there's also a strange theme, which I did not expect to be more than a one-off. The original sentence was he went into the basement and we haven't seen him since. <laughs> wow. I, I'm not making these up. And then like there's blood on the stairs and there's been like this weird theme of the dude in the basement. Okay. Do, do you want to come to my poetry reading on Tuesday? It's in the basement. I'm like, yeah, nice try, basement dude. I do not. <laughs> no. Um. So, yeah, so there are recurring themes, but it is not from day to day necessarily a continuing narrative. Because okay. I am genuinely posting from a Duolingo exercise that I did usually that day. Okay, so um, at Spyscribe for this ongoing adventure. For the ongoing adventures of the Duolingo dystopia. <laughs> um I also write for uh, Serial Box for uh, a couple serials for them, most recently Book Burners, which is an original kind of urban fantasy adventure. It just wrapped up its final season, uh, summer of 2019. So five five seasons, as we call them, ready for binging. Nice, Uh, nice. And then Dark Crystal on Netflix, Dark Crystal is on Netflix, as is Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures, if you need something to lighten the palette. (laughs) And uh, Blade Runner will be coming out at some point in the future, they assure me. (laughs) Okay. So, bulletins at once, but I'm sure I will mention it on Twitter when that happens. Yes. Nice to hear that Blade Runner is still in the future, even though we've passed the actual Blade Runner year. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're we're still holding out for 49. (laughs) That's right. That's right. How could I forget 49 i actually like that movie yeah it was pretty good uh here's some quick plugs uh for this show and then we'll do our final questions you can follow me on twitter and instagram is at joseph scrimshaw and you can follow obsessed podcast on twitter and facebook is at obsessed podcast you can also check out the star wars podcast i co-host that is called four center for info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com and you can support obsessed by backing us on patreon full info on that go to patreon.com slash joseph scrimshaw all right here are final questions they don't have anything to do with uh, your main obsession but they can if you want to make it about that <laughs> if you could shoot one of these two things out of your hands which would you choose bees or ska music Ooh, bees bees how would you use the bees well i mean one i hear we're having a real problem with colony collapse so if these are honeybees like i feel like you know orchards yeah here have bees you know find find some some you know maybe help out some beekeepers yeah also like occasionally useful as self-defense absolutely just you know walking streets at night and like dude i'm about to shoot bees out of my hand (laughs) either they believe you or you've just told somebody that you are too crazy to mess with yeah it's a good thing to shout even if it's not true even if it's it's not true true, oh boy yeah watch out all right i think that's a very good choice also it could be like you could do a simpsons cosplay by wearing a dog puppet on your hand (laughs) and then you could be the dog that shoots bees out of its mouth when it barks at you (laughs) <laughs> you have thought of multiple good uses for this. Uh, if you could fly, but you had to shout a catchphrase out loud before you took flight, what would you want to shout? Oh, man. And you ask this to a writer, I'm like, oh, I'm going to need at least three drafts. <laughs> I understand. Come out with that one. I. What's the spirit that uh, that moves you when you think about taking off and flight? By... Of the motivation of why you would in I real mean, not, life? Not the classiest catchphrase but i think woohoo or suck it traffic suck it traffic okay (laughs) i either one of those i would take as a 
as a Shazam alternative. Okay, Woohoo is a very like uh, uh, sort of a fun update of the spirit of uh, of a Superman or a mm-hmm. uh, or a Shazam. Yeah. Uh, but suck it, traffic. <laughs> very real. Yep. Do you have uh, is a writer? Do you end up having a lot of commuting? I mean, uh, meetings and yeah. That. Fortunately, I don't have a ton of commuting lately. I mean, part of where I picked my apartment where I live in the city because like I don't know where I'm going to be driving to, but I've got good freeway access. Yeah. Um, and I'm in the valley, and you know, Burbank is a center for a lot of things, which is easy for me to get to. Yeah. Um, but then there's always like the it's like, and now we need you to drive to Redondo Beach <laughs> at 9 a.m. And it's like, all right, so I'm leaving my house at five, and yeah. I will sit in a Starbucks because that is the only way that, that is going to happen. To guarantee that you will actually be there. Actually be there. Because yeah. if I try to leave the house at eight, I will still be on the road at 10:30. Yeah. So thus yeah. suck it traffic. Thus suck it traffic. <laughs> Final question for everyone on the podcast is. What is happiness? What is happiness? Uh, I don't know. It's certainly not anything that somebody has put on a little painted wall thing and sold at the craft store. What is, I mean, I think friends and enough money to be comfortable. (laughs) Is that uh, what you, when you yourself feel content? I, I think that like those if you've got those two yeah then you can probably from there help with anything like that covers a lot of yeah you're right from just like a practical standpoint that covers like well, well what if I break my leg well I got money and friends <laughs> yeah I got money and friends like yeah. so so having that it's like if a crisis comes well you know. As a, a friend of my dad's would say, if you've got a problem, it can be solved by throwing money at it, and you've got enough money to throw, start pitching it in with both hands. Yeah. Um, and if it isn't a problem that can be solved by money, hopefully, you know, your friends will help you out. And also, you know, in a non-transactional level, just having friends makes me happier. Absolutely. Yeah. So, just emotionally. Yeah. So just so that emotional balance and yeah. And then what you want beyond that, hopefully those two can help you cover. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if I'm on a quiz show and somebody uh, asks me what is happiness, I'm going to shout friends and a decent amount of money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like it's a good answer. Thank oh, you so much for you. doing the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Excellent. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Armandillos can get leprosy.